Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Andrew Goldstein. I'm sharing a session from the 2019 Chief Medical Officer Summit about sourcing, nurturing, and retaining new talent in an increasingly competitive biotech market. It's a panel moderated by Dr. Julie Kropp, CMO at AMEG Pharmaceuticals, and includes Kara Coluccio-Byrne of Perspective Group, James Lewis of Barrington James, and Govig's Chris Pashka. The session is called Addressing the Talent Gap in Biotech, Recruit and Retain. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Sorry, thanks, Ken. Um, next, we're going to transition to a panel, and I'm going to be moderating the panel. It's going to be on talent acquisition and retention. Um, this is obviously a critical topic to all of us um, as we build out our teams, and uh, I'd like to ask the panelists. Okay. Uh, before we start, I'm just going to ask our panelists to introduce themselves. Just tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and what you do. Sure. I think this is on. Is this on now? Okay. Hi, I'm Kara Coluccio-Byrne. I'm a partner with Perspective. Uh, we're a retained executive search firm based here in Boston. We cover all, um, all functional groups, really starting at the board level, uh, CEO, uh, commercial business development, our research and development. I lead the research and development practice. Um, we are formerly from some of the larger firms, Spencer Stewart and Russell Reynolds. I was with Russell Reynolds many years and then another uh, firm called Catalyst Advisors, and then ran my own, um, my own entity, Recruiting Just R&D Executive. So it's a pleasure to be here. This is my second year doing this panel. Thanks. Hi, I'm Chris Poshka with Govig Biopharma, um, executive recruiter within the primarily emerging biotech space, lead our physician-oriented recruitment practice at Govig. Uh, we're um, a boutique firm. We work across a variety of functional groups within biotech, um, have a large R&D presence with a commercial focus as well. Hi, I'm Donna Higgins, uh, founder and CEO of the Higgins Group. I know a lot of you in the audience. We've been around a very long time. We had our 21st birthday this week. And uh, we started out as um, primarily recruiting physicians in industry and have um, grown. We're still a boutique. We do about 100 searches a year, all on the R&D side in life science companies. And um, really, the big buckets are physicians, regulatory, and uh, any other senior roles on the R&D side. Uh, hi, I'm James Lewis uh, from Barrington James. Uh, I'm over from the UK, Barrington James are a global life sciences recruitment organisation. I've been with Barrington James for seven years now. I split my time between uh, sunny London, or sunny-ish London, and uh, here in the uh, US. Uh, we're, a, um, we're a dedicated life sciences recruitment business. We're 120 strong. Uh, our main offices or our head offices, the UK and London, also in Frankfurt, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, and uh, over here we're in New York and North Carolina. Uh, we cover all aspects, so we do executive search, contingent recruitment on a permanent and consulting basis. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. So <laughs> um, how would you recommend that a biotech, biotech company or a pharma company evaluate the various options among recruitment firms and the type of firm to, to choose, as well as what might be um, the best way to hire a particular role. Okay. Well, I think in terms of evaluating the firm, you know, basic things are looking at, at a track record, uh, looking at the clients that a firm has worked with, past searches, those are sort of the basic things. Um, I think beyond that, what we try to do, and, and many firms may do this too, but we try to really partner with the clients and we really want to understand 
how are we going to be able to help you differentiate yourself? I think one of the points in this in this panel in particular is how do we how do we recruit talent in this market, especially in this particular geography? And and so much of that is how do how does your recruiting partner really understand what your scientific offerings are? What is your strategic plan going forward? And so getting a sense from the partner you're working with, can they articulate that on your behalf? I think is really important. A lot of um, one thing that we like to do is at the very outset talk to uh, our clients about people that we already know. Most of peop most people we will already know and then work with you to say, do you know these people too? How do we calibrate together? Who do you think are the best people for, for your company and your culture? Um, and then we attack it that way. So I, I think that's a couple of my, my couple yeah, I, I don't think that uh, we offer a, a difference in terms of how we operate um, functionally. Um, you're uniquely passionate about your science, about your impact with patients, and you want somebody that can be evangelical on your behalf, that can go out to the market, can disseminate your information to people, and make an assessment about whether or not somebody is the right fit for you technically and culturally. And so. I would um, encourage you to bring somebody on board that is a fit for you in terms of um, do you like working with the firm, the individual, can you share information readily, and can they get that information out to the marketplace? Yeah, I would say uh, one of my favorite sayings is that we uh, always, we sound like Charlie Brown's grandmother when we're describing what we do and how we do it, so all the words sound the same, and, and there are a lot of really good search firms out there. And I, I think just making sure that you, all the things that we've already heard are there and that really you have the level of trust and chemistry with the firm because it, as we've seen with all the activity in the marketplace in 25 years, I've never seen anything like it in this, in this kind of recruiting environment. So making sure that you got, you're working together as a partner with your firm and that um, that you really do, you know you're both on the same side of the desk and trying to help each other be successful. So um, just really paying attention to that and doing your homework on who the firm is. Uh, yeah, I think my uh, colleagues have pretty much covered it off. Uh, we all do a flavor of the same thing. Uh, for me, uh, maybe the most important thing is uh, do you like the person you're working with and do you believe that uh, they buy into what you're trying to do? If we're gonna attract candidates on your behalf, you want your recruitment partner to be able to sell your organization because there's a lot of competition at the moment. But essentially, as we've all said, it is a flavor of the same thing. Oh, sorry, no, I got it. <laughs> so beyond um, selling the story, because I think that's critical, I know from my experience, it's really important that you get a partner that can articulate the evolution of your company, what therapeutic areas are in, and, and really why you're looking for somebody and what their role will be. Are there other ways that companies in this very competitive environment can differentiate themselves from what you've seen? We, we see in what we look for, or, or when we talk to clients about you know, a, a difficult search, and I'd say any search in R&D, um, any, any R&D search is a difficult search. Um, we rely or ask our clients to partner with us and play an active role in the recruitment. And so whether that means an early conversation with the CMO or the CEO or you know, thinking creatively if someone isn't being particularly engaged or leaning into the opportunity, who on the team can help play a part in pulling that person in. I think that's one thing that we try to do to get people further engaged. The other thing is talking about how 
how each person in, in the capacity of the role that they're looking at will be a strategic addition to the company. I think nobody now is just looking to you know, take a position to, you know, to do the same thing that, that they've been doing, but really understanding how can they bring new ideas around data management to their biometrics leadership role, for example, and, and will there be commitment to that on the company side? Those are some of the intangibles on that front. Yeah, I think uh, continual engagement throughout the process is really important. Um, it's hard enough to find a limited uh, group of people that are the right fit initially to even consider an opportunity, and it's even harder to keep them through the process, right, and to get you to the end where you find out that it's right for, for you and for the candidate. And so um, having access to um, leadership in an organization and that partnership is really important so that you make sure that you can continue to share information that's relevant with that person to actually, you know, close the deal. I mean, it's a horrible term, but essentially that's what we're trying to do if it's right for everybody. Yeah, I just think overlaid on top of that is, again, the, the amount of competition out there is so crazy. And if you think about what you're the company next door or the 12 companies next door are doing to, to try to, to say the same things to that really AAA candidate, then you've just got to be thinking well beyond what is it that will really differentiate you. And uh, because candidates are, they, they can be picky, they are picky, and it's amazing the, the tiniest things will make a difference for them going one way or the other. So those that are any good, I mean, that are on the AAA or B-plus um, side of the, the bell-shaped curve are just, I mean, you can't forget the number of options they have. And I, I think one of the things we've seen with, you know, the um, we're, we don't have a cloning factory yet. Seems like we're getting close, but uh, we we don't. And um, you have that's why staying close to your search person and really making sure they they are going to be with you step by step during the whole process with each candidate because it's amazing how quickly you can lose them. So and bring and and that person, the, the search person that's staying close to the candidate, will know which tool you need to pull out for which candidate. And they're all really, really different. Sometimes you need to have the CEO call the person. Sometimes you need to have dinner with the person. Sometimes, you know, you have to uh, be flexible with with whatever whatever their needs are as a you know a family. So just really paying attention and knowing that it's absolutely not one size fits all, and they're going to make decisions on the tiniest little bit of info. Um, yeah, I think I again uh, agree with all my colleagues. Uh, Good science in the room. Do we have a cloning facility coming soon? Would be useful. Um, I guess just to reiterate, um, when, you, when you've got a lot of competition, and uh, we're, we're in an industry with a lot of competition, so we know where you're coming from. And uh, for all of you people in the, in the key areas, like if you're in the Massachusetts area, when you're recruiting someone, chances are five, six, seven, or eight people will want the same person. Uh, sometimes the differentiating factor is the ability to move quickly, the ability to take the whole recruitment process that can take weeks or even months and shorten it down to days. So if you want to get ahead of your competition, sometimes the best way to get ahead of them is to put your pitch and your reason to work for them in front of them before anyone else does. And then if you've got their buy-in before anyone else does, get them signed and that can work as well. But uh, yeah, it is a very tough marketplace at the moment. It's great to be in this environment. Uh, there's people in the room that have probably been in this industry where uh, no one had any money to hire. We're in a lucky position where there's still money coming into the industry and the, uh, and the, the fight at the moment is to get the right talent. So speed and a bit of flexibility will help you out with this.
Yeah, so I, just following up, I guess, on what Ian said, Kara, it seems like um, I, one of the things I've seen is, is really trying to help candidates understand not only where they <coughs> fit into the organization and what their strategic fit, but also what's next, what opportunities can we offer them in the future for career development and growth, and that's one of the things I think that sometimes helps as well. Um, so once you identify um, a candidate that you want to bring in, what are some tips in terms of guiding um, them through the process, but helping the company um, really figure out how to prepare for the interview? What are some things that can differentiate the company in that process, in the interview process, and then um, beyond? I'd say early access to the decision makers is important, and I think, um, I think um, James touched on it a minute ago, speed. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this a while too and I've never been as aggressive um, as a retained recruiter as I've been in the last couple years in terms of pushing the client to keep moving and, and do, do, you know, think a couple steps ahead of where they typically would think. Um, so I'd say early access to, if you're the hiring managers, the CMO, a first phone call with you, and let's not wait for a person to travel up to meet with you, but let's get you together quickly. Um, I hate to say it, but sometimes HR can get in the way, um, and if we, you know, if we insert them in the process at the wrong time, it can be off-putting. I've had that happen, um, and it, it will send candidates, and just as Donna said, the smallest little thing um, can turn the tide. So I think early access. Um, I think you probably recognize the, uh, the skill set needed as a hiring manager. The rest of your team that's interviewing may not understand that to the level that you do. So I think it's important for people to understand the scarcity of candidates. And when you have somebody that you're interviewing that you think is really qualified, that you are sharing the information with your team about why they are a potential fit. Um, we have a, a client company that sends out a briefing packet to their interview team internally with the position description, with um, uh, the um, a rundown of why that person is a fit for the company. So the CMO sends a message to each hiring um, or person on the team to say, this is what we're looking for in the position. These are the key attributes. This is what I've seen from the phone conversation with this person. This is this person's background. Here are the things we want to look for in the interview process to make sure that they're a fit. So really making sure that you have buy-in from your interview team is important so that um, everybody knows that they're on the same page. And then um, really everybody should be trying to do a little bit of selling as well. It's not. Um, Hiring is not a one-way street. Most candidates tell me that they feel like they're the ones being interviewed, which is the process, but you need to also be prepared to try to um, you know, bring them into your organization with a little bit of a sell. I would say that um, the biggest thing that can work in your favor is when the search consultant has the kind of relationship with the candidate that they're going to trust them. And when you, before you even send them in to the, to the client, you have to sit with them, hear them out as to who they are as a person, where they are in their career, what they think they might want to do next. Be very consultative about, you know, I tell my clients, sometimes I'm going to be sitting in front of someone that you would love and they're perfect for you and it's not perfect for them. And the first thing I'm going to tell them is this isn't the right job for you because this is not, I just heard you say this, so you get to know what really matters to that person. 
and then you start from there. Just like now, I can call any, many of you in this room and go, look, I know you're, you're happy and you're doing well where you are, but you need to talk to me because this aligns with who you are and what you're doing. And I think what people are feeling now, especially candidates, and I'm sure everyone in the room is getting way more calls than you want, is it's you're a commodity and just move on. We have this great thing, that I'm, I, the words are just the same words. So you have to just really have people sit and think about what it is that they want for their life. And then when it matches, then it makes so much sense. So we, that's our whole mantra is just making sure we understand the truth of the individual and try our best to help them see. And lots of times there is selling in quotes involved to say, look, step back. You need to take a look at this instead of you know, rushing to the next thing because after doing it for so long, the pattern recognition, when you make a mistake, it, it really can throw off your whole career. So being really thoughtful about some of the things, what, you know, who's going to be mentoring you, what kinds of exposure you'll get within that company, what is it that you need to learn, where do you want to ultimately go, how will this fit in so many different ways. So I think it's, it comes down to a really, really day-to-day meeting by meeting individual approach to understand who that person is and then in the end if it isn't the right role be brave enough to say this isn't the right role for you and when you're doing that as a hiring manager and you are acting as a consultant to 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 and a mentor to people they'll want to work for you forever because you're honest and open and they and you're someone that's going to help them and you see them and they're not just a pawn to plug in to help you with your pain but you're going to help them too I think uh, our, our job as a search firm uh, when we're bringing candidates forward to you is to really know uh, what that individual candidate wants. If, if you assume you're going to interview maybe three or four people uh, for each role, probably each of those candidates will have a different reason for wanting to go forward for that position. It could be your, the, the type of company you are, it could be the size of company, it could even be things like your location or your pipeline is, uh, or your product is something that they're passionate about for personal reasons. And um, if we as a, as a search firm tell you, the client, their true motivations for coming forward and then you to pick up on a point that my colleague Chris said, um, your, your job in an interview is to sell the organisation. An interview uh, in, the, in the current climate is very much a two-way sell. Uh, all of us have interviewed in this room. You tend to get a gut feel quite early on in the interview whether or not you like someone. And for you guys, when you're conducting the interview, if you feel like you like this person, that's when you need to be able to turn the interview into a sell. And if you can identify with a sales point that reacts to, uh, that specifically relates to that individual, whether it's location, whether it's company or product, then they're more likely to buy into you. And that first interview is probably more important than the second or third as to whether they're going to select your company over their other options. How do you know when you get a feel for when there's the right candidate for a particular position, and how do you leverage references and other things to really help the company make sure that they're making the right choice for a critical position? I was just about going to say too that it's important to and your, and your search partner to to trust them and and believe that they're going to be honest with you because in this competitive market, it's sometimes challenging to get a large slate of candidates, and you have to be able to say. Um, and you have to believe that your search partner is going to say to you, even though here's some candidates that look 
good and you know I've met all of these people this one isn't going to be the right fit for you and the reason that this one isn't going to be the right fit for you is because we have done um, what we do oftentimes is we call people that we know in the industry references um, they're basically references to us and they'll give us a touch point or some information we'll also use the candidates actual references and ask you know, ask questions about motivations and what do you think would be a good fit for this person? And do you think, what do you think motivates this person um, from where you sit? I think we use all of that information to help inform the client. Um, we also use that information to say, this isn't a good decision for you. Even, you know, checked out in various areas, but not all of them. And, and you've got to be able to, it's, it's hard to do that in this market, but you have to take that chance because if it's not the right fit for the company, it's ultimately not going to serve anyone well. I think being able to rely on a personal reference um, from somebody, especially if you've worked with somebody, they referred you on to somebody else and you've developed a relationship, being able to tie that back in and say, you know, look, we've, we've worked with this person before. They're successful in their own right. They feel strongly enough to recommend a colleague. I mean, just any little bit of information that can allow you to get to know people, especially if you're hiring outside of your circle. I mean, in a, in a really tight market, you have the benefit of knowing a lot of people. Um, but if you're bringing somebody in on a relocation or something and maybe you haven't had the opportunity to have people in your organization work with those folks, it's even more imperative that you really dig in and find out, all right, what are the soft skills of this person and are they going to play nicely in your very small sandbox? Because it's really about relationships um, outside of just the technical skill set that somebody brings. Um, yeah, I think that um, it's um, to find the right person and to, when you know it's right, it, to me, they, um, they, they take a, a lot of work. And when you think about when you guys get phone calls and from someone about the next cool thing, what, what is your first reaction? How are you going to, you know, what's, what's going to compel you to, yes, yeah, stop what you're doing and then have this conversation with someone? So I think um, when you think about what we do and how we do it, one of the things that needs to be there sort of as a, a tenet of what people do is talk when, as you define what it is that you're looking for this person to do, it's important for the search firm to do all of the work in understanding the whole, um, the whole, as we call it, universe of options for you, the client, because there is a bell-shaped curve and people are all over on it. And what we're trying to do is get you those on the far right side of the bell-shaped curve. And you do that by talking to a lot of people that, that are going to be doing things that you want done. So that really helps you to understand where does this person fit? And the, and the ones that are on the pointy end, they're pretty obvious. So, you know, and everybody wants those people. And then there's, there's a hard line where you don't want anyone on that side of it. And you're really kind of your sweet spot is probably here. You go for the, the, the bullseye on the pointy end. But you're going to, you know, depending on who your company is, who your CEO is, what your paradigm is, it'll, it'll really just depend. But so you, you we're not... Um, there's really not a lot of evidence that the interview process and everything actually predicts success in the job. So if that is true, how, do you, how are you able to do what we do, which is have a, you know, not a perfect record, but it's really high, and it's by talking to lots of people. So when you're working with a search firm, make sure that they're doing the work, which is really hard, and we talk to an average of 350 people 
per search. We have a, a thousand on, depends on what type of search it is, but we can have a thousand people on our list of options. And it's only by talking to lots and lots of people can we really give you the best counsel on, yeah, this is your person and this is why, and it may be a compromise, but here's what's going on in the marketplace. So just kind of, you know, using a process that really helps us learn and then trusting, as you say, the, your, your search partner to really be able to guide you and then doing all the background checking, of course. Uh, I think um, quite often you find candidates when you're not looking for them as well in this industry. Uh, an event like this, for example, there'll be people here that maybe we don't have an active search, but we meet the people that are relevant for the future. And then, Julie, to answer your point about how do, how do we support the referencing? Referencing's a tough thing at the moment. Uh, data protection, etc. a lot of people not wanting to give out the information. So I think if your search partner has breadth of network, uh, as an organization, we try and do 360 referencing. So not just someone they work for, someone that's worked for them, that's worked alongside them. Uh, similar to Cara, we essentially call it soft referencing. It's something we're doing all the time. Um, that goes with the resume we present to you. So if this is someone that's not known to our network, i.e. we can't actually find someone to reference them, we'll flag that with you at the start. Doesn't always mean it's a problem, but generally if we don't know someone that knows that individual, and I'm sure all my colleagues would agree, if, if, it's, if you can't find anyone that knows or can recommend this problem, it's probably not someone we present, but it is a challenge in the current market where people don't want to give out that information. We see it all the time. Um, it's a, it's a big issue. I think um, hiring managers like yourself are wise to it, and um, it, it continues to happen. We advise, you know, we advise our candidates that you know just factually. I mean, if you have a certain experience in in this is not the experience that your title that you're recruiting for is looking for, uh, it's not a match. I think. There are times, though, as Donna would say, if you're on that far end of the bell-shaped curve, there are times where you have to think about how do you attract this very high-end candidate, and title inflation might be one of those things. Um, but it has to be backed up by the data. There have to be data points in that person's background that show you that that's, that's a good risk to take. Um, but, but we'll be very frank with our candidates and with our clients and say to them, you know, unfortunately, this is not the title. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, the relationships that we have with candidates um, are such that they will listen to our counsel. And, and it's data-driven in the back end, too, sharing that data with the candidates to say, this is not ultimately going to help you in your career. If you're inflated in your title now, it's going to be very difficult for that next role to be something attractive to you. And, and, and oftentimes that will be a message that's heard and understood. Uh, a couple years ago, it used to be five years experience as a physician in clinical development was what you were getting at a medical director level in a mid-size um, pharma company. 
the other day I was working on a posting for a really small company and they're asking for five plus years of industry experience at the VP level. So, I mean, things have changed really dramatically. And so um, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, there's, there's so much opportunity in our industry and um, it's created real significant challenges. That's why it's an important topic for everybody in small companies because um, you need to find people that are adequately experienced, can come in and hit the ground running in your organization and not need hand-holding, right? And so um, if you're going to be, um, I guess, stuck at a certain level or if that's what makes sense in your organization, then we need to be able to talk about what the opportunity is for the person and why they would want to step into that role, what the opportunity is presently, what they're going to be able to do differently now um, or in that position that's going to help them to grow their career and where you're going to bring them from an experience level. So it's not an easy conversation. You almost never get somebody that's going to move down on a title. Maybe you can convince somebody laterally if it's appropriate for them. Um, but if you, um, to Donna's point, find somebody on this far end of the spectrum that is the A-plus person, you should have really honest conversations internally about what you can do to bring that person in. And if it means changing a title structure and you can actually do it, it's worth it for the right person. Yeah, I agree with both. I, I think it's, um, you do have to accept reality. It's happening all the time. And you're, you know, you're probably sitting at the table with someone who has, a, I mean, just kidding, but um, it's, uh, it's just so you're, you can't fight reality. You do have to get creative about it. And I think even in the hiring process, thinking about if you have someone that is, that truly is a AAA person that is getting, I mean, we're seeing people get CMO offers at, with just a very few years experience. So, um, so understanding what you have in front of you first to make sure if you are going to do it, you know why you're doing it and you also have a plan for how you're going to bring that person up the curve and how you're going to support them and not just, well, you gave them the title, so now do it because you're going to be the one that pays the price. So just making sure that, that you can absorb someone like that and uh, they can be fabulous hires. So it's, it's, not, it's not a crazy thing to do if, if you have to. I think we're seeing some um, now because the whole back and forth from big pharma to small or more the, 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 the in people leaving big pharma into small, the, the way to get some really talented people, um, they, the, the smart ones anyway, no, they don't want to jump if they haven't had enough experience right into a, a small company CMO <coughs> role. So bringing them underneath you in a, in a VP role so that and giving them enough breadth and, and exposure to the CMO role is a really nice way to get some talented people. So we're doing we're just trying to be creative with each position, but it, it is it is real and the compensation inflation comes along with it too. Uh, I think um I think I want to go back to something that I believe it was Tao said this morning about um uh, the difference in um, how spoiled you are when you're in Big Pharma. He talked about a cook, etc., and, and the restaurant. But uh, the thing is, when you go from Big Pharma, where Big Pharma is a title-driven industry, where you go from this title to this title to this title, we we in the biotech space don't have that luxury. And um, uh, one of the the challenges you run into is 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 getting candidates to actually understand that. Uh, kind of what is the title like you may be the senior vice president of regulatory affairs but you're probably the only person in regulatory affairs so ju just how senior is senior and um, coming from the UK I, I, I can say this is um, this is possibly slightly more of a, a problem in the US than it is in Europe uh, the importance of the title and um, you don't run into it so much in Europe where someone will will say no to a position because 
they're a principal and they want to go up a level or they're a senior and they want to go to principal and and I, if I could advise I would say the it, if and I think Chris you, you mentioned earlier if you can get creative with the title if if giving someone the title they want to get them isn't going to cause any issues within your organization uh, then I'd probably say do it because more important than the title is the role they're doing and the responsibility and the ability they've got to actually perform the role you need them to do whether you call them the head of senior MD VP whatever but it's, it's certainly something if you can address it here uh, as an organization and say hey you want to be senior vice president of one crack on we can give you that title Attracting talent is retaining talent, and um, people say people don't leave their companies, they leave their managers. Um, <laughs> so w what are your thoughts in terms of, of really um, proactively, once you get a good candidate, thinking about the retention plan and the development plan? I think it, from a recruiter standpoint, we kind of follow the process to a certain point, and then we're not involved. But it, it, but it's something that comes into play through the recruiting effort. I think I, we talked about it a little bit before, thinking about where this person can grow, what other functions, if especially in small companies where you know, like you said, the senior vice president of regulatory could also be the senior vice president of you know several other things, and um, adding thinking about where this person's skill set could evolve. I think that's important to talk about in the recruiting process. Um, at our firm, we also have an organizational development component, so we do things like leadership assessment and uh, succession planning and thinking about culture and those aspects, which I think has become increasingly important in small biotech companies. It's always been a mainstay in the larger companies, and people that are coming from the larger companies who are used to that kind of thinking may come into some of these smaller companies and go, where is you know where are these elements for me? Um, so we've tried to take an approach to say this is an offering that we could help companies that aren't going to build that internally, but maybe outsource some of that, um, because I think it's important we have to think about think about this in biotech. Uh, we start to get more calls when you guys fail at retention. <laughs> so I mean, if you're not talking to people on a very regular basis about where they're at in their position and where you see them going, um, you're at risk of having somebody else have that conversation with them. So, you know, the idea of having a one-year, you know, kind of performance review should be really, really far behind in everybody's rearview mirror. You should probably be talking to them at least quarterly about where they're at, where they're going, and how you see them, especially once you hire them, you invest in them, and you understand that they're a really significant um, AAA person in your organization. Uh, keeping those people um, is really important. We know who all those people are. They're our first call when we come across a search for you. So um, make sure you're taking care of your people, I think, in that regard. And they know they have a future. Yeah, I think um, certainly paying attention to the individual is key. But also, one of the big reasons people will leave is, is related to the culture itself, the company you're in. And so, you know, the CE does come from the CEO by large part, but what you can do and the role that you play in building the kind of culture and making sure it is the kind of culture that people want to be in, because if you pay attention to them, you give them opportunities, and it's a good, their, their colleagues are great, people get along, there's, there's not a level of dysfunction that's really making them not happy to go to work every day, it really matters. And doing more work on yourself to be the kind of leader that people want to work for, where they really feel excited because you're helping them. And even though 
I mean, they're, they're, you're, you don't, you want to retain them, but good people are going to go when it's time. So knowing that and just being okay with it and saying, look, let's, let's get you so you're going to be the next CMO and what can we do and just, because they're going to leave anyway. So it, it, it just, it's inevitable, but if they can be there and be super productive and s excited, they're going to tell their friends about how great it is to work for you, and they're going to send people to you, and that just spirals into a wonderful place when you really pay attention to, you know, that kind of thing. People, it matters. Uh, I think it's uh, very important that you know where you are in, in your world and, wh and whether you're in the right space. So people are going to leave for three reasons, realistically. It's going to be pay, culture, uh, or the role and job satisfaction. So it's important to know that if you're an or organization that's at the low end of the pay spectrum, hey, that's no problem if you've got a great culture, great job satisfaction, and people, someone gets to the stage where they leave and you need to counter off of them. Um, unfortunately, uh, kind of studies show that they'll be gone within a year anyway. So if you can find a way to get out in front of the counter offer, you know the kinds of people that are going to be out in the market and, and almost give them a small bump every now and again to move things up, uh, you're less likely to lose people. But uh, there's one of three areas you need to cover off. I think, too, as the medical leader in your organization, you set the tone for your company. I mean, clearly your CEO is very important in the process, too, but everybody that works within your organization looks to you because you're driving what is integral to your company in terms of what it's going to do for patients. And so the more involvement that you can have to help set that culture is really, really critical in being aligned with other senior executives. I was joking with somebody the other day, a, a head of HR, and we were talking about how free tacos aren't culture, right? I mean, we're doing all these things to try to attract people, you know, and they're like, well, we bring in breakfast tacos. I was like, great. That's not why somebody's going to stay. So, I mean, you really need to think about what you're trying to do within your company that's going to want people to feel satisfied with their work. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Chief Medical Officer Summit. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.